My message today is entitled, Remember Your Treasure. It's focused on uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. It says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power of God may be of God and not of us. As I prepared for this message, that uh, I, I was began to seek out what what that treasure was and 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 how it affects to us. And I I know that when I, and anyone says the word treasure, it automatically piques our interest. Maybe you've seen the the movies when you're younger of someone following a treasure map and looking for something that's buried and that's hidden deep. And it's, it's usually usually what makes the treasure even more alluring is that that you have to search for it. Um, because it's not just available out in the open. Not anybody would find it. Um, but I, I re- reminded me of a, a time um, before we came here. We had a church in Essexville in a small building, and uh, we were God did great things in that church. We grew, and, and then it came a time when God asked us to close the church, and to, obviously it was to get us right to come up here. We didn't know that at the time. Um, but I remember we sold the church, and the person that bought it turned it into a, a, f- a photography studio. And the parents that, that bought it, one of their kids was in one of my classes at school when I was teaching in Essexville. And so she was giving me up to date on what was going on that as they were gutting out the church, and you know, I'm like, ah, you know, like changing all this stuff. And they said, well, we're, we took out the carpeting, we took out all the flooring. And uh, she said, under the floor, and we found a safe. And I said, what? Well, yeah, we found a safe. We're going to try to crack it. And I'm like, ah, oh, you mean I was there for all those years and didn't know there was a safe in the ground? And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm hoping, I hope there's nothing in that safe. <laughs> well, thankfully or unthankfully, there was nothing in the safe. Just a bunch of water. Do you remember when... Uh, who was that guy? Geraldo. The big safe crack is nothing but water. Yeah, basically was in this. Nothing but water in there. And so, but it reminded me of the of the treasures that we have in Christ that we don't even open them. We're not even aware of all the stuff that God has already given to us. We're not even accessing those where you can live your whole life and not access the treasures that we have. So as I was preparing this message, as I often do, is I make sure when I read a verse that I go back and read it in context to understand the full thing, not to just judge it in isolation. So, to understand what this treasure is and what it means and how we access it and what its intention is, we go back to the beginning of the chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Verse 1 says this, Since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. So this, first of all, is this a letter from Paul who's writing to the church at Corinth. And Corinth was a very sinful, wicked place um, with a lot of polytheism and different gods and a lot of uh, sin all over the place. And so that's the, that's the context. He's writing to this church. And, and, and knowing that as they share the message, they're going to face persecution. They're going to face all the stuff that comes against them because they're going into a dark place. So... He says, we've been given this ministry. So even though it's written to, uh, as a letter to the Corinth, to Corinth, it's also an example for all Christians to follow because we all share light in a world of darkness. He states that the, the, this fact that they have this ministry. Let me tell you that ministry is a state of doing 
not just something that you just have and keep and put on the shelf. You see, the reason that Jesus has not returned for all of us yet is because there's still more work that needs to be done. I don't know about you, but I have family members and loved ones and friends that do not know Christ yet. And I pray that God would reveal themselves to him and they'd be willing to open and receive that call. So I'm glad that we're not in heaven yet because we still have work to do. He's entrusted us as brothers and sisters in Christ to carry out his work and his will in this world. Thus, he's giving, he's, he has given all of us this ministry of reflecting the light of Jesus into a world of darkness that seems to be growing dimmer all the time. Some truly believe that God doesn't want us to do anything, that they already, they're already they all set for heaven. They, they believe that God doesn't want us to do anything. He wants us to just rest in Him, that the work was paid on the cross, to just rest and enjoy all the beauty around us and the people around us. But this perspective does not extend the same message of love and the same message of redemption and the same message of rescue that Christ extended to all of us. Therefore, we must understand that we all have work to do. That's why we're still here and not in heaven. We need to extend out and give what God has already given to us. Well, some people also believe that because of their great talents, or because of their great charisma, or because of their great personalities, that God needs them. Yet, the truth is that God uses us in spite of ourselves, not because of us. Our strengths and our talents and our abilities are God's gifts to us. What we choose to do with those gifts, those talents and strengths, is our gift back to God. I can use all the gifts that God gave me and go pursue things in the world, or I can take the gifts that God gave me and give it back to Him, like we see with the wonderful blessing of our worship team, that are using the gifts that God naturally gave them to give glory to God. And all of you that God gives you a heart of compassion to open up your house or your heart to someone else to give those gifts back to God. What we choose to do with our gifts and our abilities is our gifts back to God. We should be continually giving gifts back to God. Thus, we are reminded at, the, at this verse, we have received mercy. We have received mercy, so we should be giving mercy as well. What is mercy? Biblically speaking, Mercy means having compassion for those who are in misery. Misery comes not just from the hardships of life. Misery comes when, when one is presented with God's demands of truth and righteousness. When one is open to conviction of the Holy Spirit that he has missed the mark, that she has sinned against God and others. It produces misery in one's soul because we know that we've We've not pleased God. That's where misery comes. Okay? So I'm open to conviction. Now I'm convicted because truth was given. And so I'm in misery because I've missed the mark with God. But that's where mercy comes in because God gives us, God extends mercy when we're in misery. When we come to Jesus, we receive mercy instead of judgment. He comes to us and He forgives us, He removes our guilt. He begins a process of restoration, regenerating our spirit to become more like Him. Psalm 85, verse 10, beautifully says it this way, Mercy and truth have met together. 
righteousness and peace have kissed. In Christ, mercy and truth meet together. The truth of His Word brings conviction on a heart who's open to God. And the grace and compassion of Jesus opens the door to His mercy when we repent and return to Him and ask Him to lead us on a journey of healing and newly found purpose in Him. I emphasize all this to give us the right frame of mind when when taking our ministry into this world of darkness. See, many people don't understand and they don't appreciate the fact that we have been received mercy and they go out and they want to judge others who are different than us. God didn't judge us. He gave us mercy instead of judgment when we were open to Him. The problem with many Christians today is that they do not start from the foundation of remembering that we have been given mercy instead of judgment from Christ. Too many people today who say they are Christians do not read or practice the entirety of the commands of the Bible. Instead, they too often cherry-pick Scriptures that resonate with them but fail to read and understand the whole Gospel message. That's why we see so much division, not just in the world, but even in churches. Even in people that call themselves Christians, how could there be so much division and dysfunction? It's because people are not reading and practicing the whole Bible. In doing so, they forget that they have been shown mercy and resort to judgment and public slander of others who are in sin, forgetting that they themselves are sinners just the same. Let us take heed to this serious warning talked about in James on this very topic. James 2.8 says this, If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you do well. You see, the law, or simply the Ten Commandments, are given to us even today to demonstrate how to love God and others. And so in summary, it's stated that we are to love others as ourselves. And if we do that, we do well. And we fulfill the intent of God's commands. Verse 9, But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. What this means is that if you hold someone else to the same to, or to the strictness of the finer points of the law, but you do not hold yourself to the same judgment, then you are in sin under the same judgment you are using. James 2.10 For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in just one point, he is guilty of all the law. Even if we break one commandment of the law, we are guilty of the whole law. God doesn't compare sins on a scale and say, well, you know what? Yours is worse than hers, so you get the judgment, he gets a free pass. God doesn't do that. God also doesn't say, you sinned a whole lot more than she did, and so she gets to go to heaven and you don't. God doesn't do that. If you break one point of the law, you're guilty of it all. So understanding that by grace that we've been given mercy when we should have received judgment, we need to extend mercy as well. One sin makes us guilty of the whole law. We need to understand that point. James 2.11 For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. See, we've gotten to a terrible and 
unbiblical habit in the world today of condemning people who commit sins that we think are more detrimental or more rebellious than the sins that we commit in public or even in private. Remember, it was Jesus who said, if you hate your brother or if you call him a fool, then you have committed murder in your heart. That was Jesus' words. He also said, if you look at another lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. He even said that if you hold unforgiveness towards others and you do not forgive them and instead harbor a grudge and are unwilling to work that out with that person, then God, your Heavenly Father, will not forgive you. This is a repeated warning not to judge others in one light, only to let yourself off the hook in a different light. Matthew 7, 1 and 2. You all know this verse. It's not preached about often today, but this is a truth that Jesus gave. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. We are to judge sin. Okay? Using the Bible, God tells us what sin is, and we are to judge sin as it lines up according to the Word of God. But we are not to judge people unless we hold ourselves to the exact same standards of all His commands. If you follow all God's commands and you're okay to stand up, then you can be free to judge people. But the Bible tells us every one of us has sinned. Not one of us is righteous. Only Jesus was. If we stand in the place of judgment of others because they violate the law, but we do not offer them the same truth and grace and mercy that we received when we turned to Jesus, then we are guilty of the law. And the same judgment we use is measured back to us. We must remember to bring truth and mercy together. Again, we share the gospel, we share the truth of the gospel, but we also extend mercy. I'm not saying that we don't follow the truth. But truth and mercy meet together. That's what happened with Jesus Christ. James 2, verse 12. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Now understand, we know that Jesus came to fulfill the law. We're no longer under the law, but here we are in the New Testament in James, even after the resurrection, And we're told to live as though we're judged by the law of liberty. The law of liberty says that we have received grace and we have received mercy when we repented and turned to Jesus. And so we should not judge others who are sinners because we still have a sinful heart as well. We share truth. We leave the judgment up to God and we extend mercy. This is the humbling point that is missing from the discourse today of judging people because you don't like their sin, but you are okay with the sins you commit in word or action or thought. A sin is a sin, no matter where or how it is committed. When we forget about the mercy that we have received, we forget how the blood of Jesus cleanses us by God's grace. Something that we did not and do not deserve. Our job is to share truth. We need to continue to speak His truth and continue to share the Gospel. But we need to lead with mercy. Not to share selected points of the truth and then lead with condemnation and judgment because someone is different. Especially in a public discourse which leads to shame. Our job is not to shame. Our job is to share truth 
with mercy. James 1.20 For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There are too many people today in the news and in public discourse and casual conversations and even in the pulpits that are using their own wrath and their own judgment to try to bring about God's will. This tactic goes against the very thing that Scripture states if you read the entirety of the Bible in context. The wrath of man or the wrath of woman does not and cannot possibly produce the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God can only be produced when truth and mercy meet together as they did on the cross. We must keep this in mind, remaining humble and leading with compassion. James 2.13 For judgment is without mercy to those who have shown no mercy. You understand that? If we don't show mercy to people who are in sin, and as we're trying to share the truth, if we don't show mercy, then we do not receive mercy and we receive judgment. It's not talked about often. What's often talked about is Jesus died for us as grace covers all and, we, and, and, and we're able to continue to live even though we have sinful natures. But this is the New Testament. Judgment is without mercy to, those, to the one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. We must remember that we have been forgiven of our rebellion against God. And that when we were convicted, and then when we turned to God, He extended grace and mercy, not judgment. So we give the truth, but we also say there's a way to escape that judgment is by coming to Jesus. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That is how we are to lead in our ministry to others as well. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this mercy, mercy as this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Knowing that we have been given mercy, we do not lose heart because we remain humbled by where we have been delivered from. We also understand that the same mercy that saved us is available to everyone to whom God is knocking on the door of their hearts. Now, they need to respond to access that treasure, but God's knocking on the door of their hearts. That's why we share the message, so that God can do the knocking and the prying and not us. Thus, we continue knowing that God is with us when we're mocked or when we're rejected or when we're persecuted or when we suffer while living as His ambassadors in the world today. Our job is to be unwavering in sharing the truth of the gospel. And through our mindset of grace, we allow God to bring conviction, leading to repentance and salvation. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, in the sight of God. To be true to the ministry that God has called us as followers of Jesus, we do not compromise the truth of God's Word as we teach the full gospel message. What is the full gospel message that we're to be sharing? It's this. We have all sinned. Every one of us. 
we have all fallen short of the glory of God. You see, if you go out to share the message with others to point out someone else's sin and you don't throw yourself in that same boat, then you're perverting the Word of God. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one. The Bible also says that the wages of sin is death, which means we are all deserving of death and eternal separation from the perfect presence of God in heaven. But the Bible also says, as you know, that God loved the world so much that He provided a way for us to be forgiven when we turn to Him, when we rest on Him and believe in Him and repent. When we come to Him, He provided a way for us to be able to come into His presence and live with Him in eternal life. The Bible also shares that Jesus is this way. Jesus is this truth that we share. Jesus is this life. And only by accepting the sacrifice that Jesus made for all of us do we receive atonement for our sins, which is the removal of our guilt so that we can stand in His presence. And just as Jesus was raised from the dead, the Bible teaches that when we acknowledge that we too have sinned, when we identify, and we come to Jesus and when we ask for forgiveness, that Jesus forgives us and He regenerates our spirit and gives us eternal life through salvation. But this is not a one-time prayer. It's not a one-time a moment where we say that we believe and we get our ticket punched to heaven. We need to submit to the Holy Spirit who now dwells inside every believer. We need to spend time in the Word and in prayer to work on this personal relationship with Jesus Christ and discern God's will so that we can live as followers of Christ and bear fruits that are worthy of our repentance which means our lives should show that I have changed because of the change that Jesus did in my heart. This is how that we are to renounce the hidden things of shame by bringing sin from the darkness out into the light. In other words, I'm not just saying that we extend mercy to everyone and not even call out sin. That's not what I'm saying. We're to judge sin. But when we judge sin using the Word, we need to give the answer. I've said this before, there's times when I've given very difficult messages, but I always end with hope. We are to give the truth, but we also have to extend mercy. And so we're going to come across people who are very different than us and living in sin and very different. And we can give them the truth, but we also have to give them the key to the answer by giving them extending mercy. The way that we handle the Word of God properly is by declaring that we all sin, us included. And we all need Jesus and must submit to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. This constant focus of including ourselves in in needing Jesus daily and in needing daily to submit to the Holy Spirit and in needing to constantly confess our sins to God and choosing to live a life according to the Word of God is what brings credibility to our witness. You've seen it before. People all out there charismatic and saying how great they are. Then they find out they're in sin and they have to walk out of ministry or walk out of life. We should be humbling ourselves. We all sin. We all err. When we're sharing Christ, we give the truth, but we also give grace. It's what keeps us humble and yet effective. Our lives demonstrated through our response to conviction, leading to repentance, offering mercy and truth to others is what commends everyone, everyone's conscience in the sight of God. 
We don't need to lead with our charisma or our intellectual arguments or our emotional pleas. Our job is to share biblical truth without condemnation and give room for God to bring conviction, which would lead to a change in heart. And to those who are at a place of readiness, God sweeps in and changes their lives with amazing power and grace. Then God is the one who gets the glory. Unfortunately, there are many who will say, well, we had a great revival last night and we led many people to the Lord. It's not us who does that. It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God who do those things. Our job is to share truth and extend mercy. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. This is such an important truth that too many people fail to see when sharing the gospel message with people today. When someone rejects your attempts to learn about Jesus and to accept Him as their Lord and Savior, it's wrong to assume they are rejecting you or that they are horrible people who don't care. Too many Christians feel personally rejected when someone is not interested in learning more about Jesus. And to deal with this feeling of personal rejection, it's easier to blame it on someone else for being insensitive or rude or apathetic. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The truth is, as stated right here in Scripture, that the reason why anyone is not open to the Gospel at a particular time is because they are experiencing spiritual blindness, which is a condition and not always a choice. The enemy has blinded them from seeing the truth presented to them. You may have thought you had this perfect logical argument why someone should trust Jesus, why someone should come to your church, why someone should advance to Jesus, and it, for whatever reason it's not sinking in. And if, in order to deal with that rejection, you think, well, it's their fault, or they're doing this, or they're living this way. But the Bible says it's not always a choice. Many times it's a condition of spiritual blindness. There are many reasons why this spiritual blindness occurs. Sometimes it's because the enemy has convinced them that the pleasures of sin are the best way to handle the, the desires and needs of this life. But spiritual blindness can also occur due to a hardness of heart. When someone has been wronged and the enemy has convinced them not to forgive others, as if holding unforgiveness is going to hurt the other person. In reality, as you know, if you've been there, unforgiveness hurts us more than it does the other person because it keeps us from seeing the truth of restoration and the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. And sometimes spiritual blindness can occur solely because of ignorance of the truth. And the enemy convincing a person that there's no need to seek truth from any other source except for what they can come up with on their own. Either way, if we remember that people are not, the reason why they're not coming to God is because it's a spiritual blindness by the enemy, then we are more likely to lead with mercy and compassion instead of turning to judgment and wrath and slander. You see it all over the world today. People are trying to share a message and people don't agree with them, so they slander them publicly. 
and they shame them and they speak negative about them and they start gossip and rumors and they go on to talk shows, they go on the news, they go into local conversations and speak poorly about this person. That's not what the Bible says to do. Not at all. We are to lead with truth and extend mercy. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and our, ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Remember, it's not about us. We've been given this ministry. This ministry is all about Jesus. It's all about advancing His kingdom in the world. It is the message that is rejected, not us. Not everyone is at a place where they're ready to receive. Some people are still operating in spiritual blindness. And if they are, they're going to reject the message, not us. With this understanding, we acknowledge God's mercy that is continually available to us so that we don't lose heart. Because when you share Jesus with the world, not everyone's going to receive it. But if you continue to draw on that mercy that for us, then we can continue with the ministry that God gave us. Because we don't do it in our own strength. We do it by His. After all, we are His servants. We are committed to sharing truth and mercy so that Jesus can change lives for eternity. If you get so bent out of shape because someone didn't receive Jesus when you thought you had the most logical argument, the chances are that if they did receive, you would pat yourself on the back because you got through to that person. That's just how we're made up. But if we continue to share truth and extend mercy and leave the results up to God, then God gets the glory. And when we're feeling rejected or struggling, then we tap into that mercy that God extends to all of us so that we continue to go forth. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, if we begin with a foundation of mercy and refrain from judging others as we share truth, we allow God to do His miraculous work of shining the light of Jesus into the hearts that need Him. I don't know about you, but there was times when I was growing up when I knew I did something wrong. And uh, I love my mother. Love my mother. But there's times when she was really good at just putting guilt on me. And just letting you just sit in that guilt and just feel... You know, like I, I know it's wrong, but then that guilt is even is even worse. And uh, and and I love my mother, she's a godly woman. But there's there's times when we speak the truth, and rather than just letting that truth sit with that person, we push them over the edge and put guilt and shame on that person, trying to make them feel bad. That's not our job to make them feel bad. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction. We need to leave the emotions out of it and give truth, let the Holy Spirit work, and then walk away and extend mercy and leave it up to God. And I, I think because of the goodness of our hearts, we try it at times, but too many times we insert too much of ourselves into the equation. We need to have a foundation of mercy. We have received mercy because we are sinners. We need to extend that same mercy. Don't need to share truth, but we need to lead with mercy. For this is what God has done with every one of us. As we were convicted of our sins and as we repented and turned to God and turned to Jesus, we received forgiveness and healing. To a sinner, 
A heart which was once in the darkness and without hope is now full of light by the knowledge of the glory of God through the gift of Jesus Christ. This remarkable transformation is a true miracle waiting to happen if we simply remain obedient to God's call as His ambassadors in the world today. It's not easy. It's not easy sharing the Gospel. It's not easy sharing Jesus. It's not easy encouraging someone to trust Jesus in the way that you have. But I'll tell you, it's absolutely worth it. If we continue to operate out of that base of mercy and refuse not to complain or not to blame or not to slander or not to gossip or not to do all those things, if we just give truth and pull on that mercy ourselves, it's worth it. If one person's eternity is resurrected and changed because we led with mercy and truth instead of judgment, it's worth it. How much more worth it is it if that one life changed is you? Or if that one life changed by truth and mercy is a loved one, or a friend, or a coworker, or a neighbor, or someone that you've been praying about for a long time? Thus, with the same frame of mind, by faith, we willingly step into His service of ministry and continue. Through adversity and through trials, believing that lives are being changed for eternity. Thus, we come now to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 in context. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. This is the treasure that we have in our hearts, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And the only reason we have access to this treasure now is because the conditions were right for us to receive truth and mercy. To meet so that they could meet together so that God's light could shine into our hearts. If we do not extend mercy, light does not get into a heart because it becomes hardened. And it feels like it's being attacked. If we use our emotions or our our logic, but if we give truth and mercy, then God's light is allowed to shine into a heart of darkness to receive hope. This treasure is a humble reminder that the excellence of the power in us and and the power that flows through us is not from us. It's not from our ability or our intellect or our personality. The excellence of the power is from God. It's not of us. We draw our strength and we draw our authority from the Holy Spirit who chooses to live in us. Some of you wouldn't go into your house if it was a a mess. Some of you wouldn't go into some places, but God looks at your life and He knows it's a mess. He says, I'm going to go live in that person. Why? Because they asked me to. And He, and he says, it's my job as they submit to me to help clean up this place. So He chooses to come live in every one of us in our current condition, but He loves us too much to keep us that way. And so over time, as we submit to Him, He cleans up inside and hopefully it cleans up outside. Amen? We draw our strength from Him. We are just earthen vessels. But the power that we have is not of us. It is of God. 
He is the reason why we're able to stand against temptation. It is His strength that helps us to overcome trials and tribulations. He is the reason why we do not lose hope when we are rejected or wounded or treated unfairly or persecuted. If we remember our treasure of the Holy Spirit living inside each of us, ever reminding us of the love of Jesus to transform lives, we will continue to lead in mercy and truth no matter what comes against us. Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. You see, all these attacks are on the earthen vessel. But what's in us is greater than what's on the outside. So we can have all this stuff come against us, but we still continue to stand because of the power that's in us. Verse 10, We are always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Let us never forget the victory that is secured at Calvary. Let us always be mindful of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross so that by our very lives we are always giving witness to the glorious resurrection of new and eternal life. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the treasure that You put inside of each one of us as we turn to You. Lord God, and even now, if we are convicted by the truth of Your message, we confess. We confess where we have wronged, where we have failed, where we have sinned. We come to You and we hold the truth of Your Word that when we confess our sins, that You forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We thank You, Lord God, for the mercy that You've extended upon us. May we always remember the treasure that was given at the foot of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.